Uh, thanks for being here. Those of you here in the room, thanks for those of you watching online as well. It's just, uh, it's, it's good to have you. Glad that you made the decision to kind of engage and be here today. Uh, we are, as you heard earlier, we're wrapping up our series today called Colossians based on a letter in the New Testament written by a guy named Paul to a group of new believers that he'd never met. And so every week throughout this series, what we've been doing is just taking a a look at a different chapter in this letter and, and kind of pull out the major theme of that chapter and then talking about, okay, what does that mean for our lives? Here's what God inspired Paul to write to the Colossians nearly 2,000 years ago. What can we learn from that and how can we apply that to our lives together and our relationship with God? So that's what we've been doing so far. Today we are wrapping it up. It's the fourth week of the series, which means if it's your first time here, first time watching online, first time in a while, you've missed a majority of what we've covered, okay? So um, it's all on YouTube. You can go back and watch it. That's why doing this church thing regularly is important. But before we move on to what we're going to talk about today, I want to do a recap. And if, you, if you've been here throughout this series, um, just nod and shake your head yes as we go. But it's important to understand the backstory for where we've come from in order to understand the impetus or the reason behind what we're going to read today in Colossians chapter 4. And so the first week of this series, as we looked at chapter 1, what well, the kind of the main point that we walked away with is that we are made right with God when we put our faith in Jesus. We, we all human beings have this problem, this problem of sin. We've all sinned. None of us are perfect. Maybe you're better than your brother or the person sitting next to you, but none of us even come close when it comes to comparing to God. It, Paul writes in Colossians that we were enemies of his because of our sinful nature. This sin thing is a huge deal. And we are all powerless to do anything about it. We can't live good enough. We can't try hard enough. We can't behave well enough. We were absolutely doomed on our own. That's why God sent his one and only son, Jesus, so that he could pay the penalty that we deserved, so that he could take the punishment that we deserved, and in return, give us his righteousness. When we put our faith or our trust or Maybe you've been around the church scene in the 80s when we ask Jesus into our heart sort of thing. When we do that, we are made totally right with God. When he looks at us, he sees us as holy and blameless in his sight. So that's what we talked about in the first week. Then the second week, we looked at chapter 2. And not only are we made right with God through Jesus, but we also stay right with God only because of Jesus that we don't need to follow some religious sorts of rules. We don't need to behave a certain way. There's certainly benefits to following God's will, but as far as our connection with God, our access to God goes, it's not Jesus plus anything else. It's just Jesus, period. He gets us right with God and he keeps us right with God, independent of anything else. It is our faith alone that saves us. Then last week, our founding pastor, Kevin, walked us through Colossians chapter 3, and he didn't say this, but every time I read Colossians chapter 3, I just think of Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, that because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does, like that's, that's the heart of Colossians chapter 3, because of the wonderful things that God has done for us through Jesus. What we could never earn, what we don't deserve, what we could never pay back, this 
unlimited open access to God now and forever. In light of that, we want to live differently. We want to follow his will, that we want to represent his character and that he begins to change us on the inside as, as we get to know him and, and are made, become like our creator. Again, like Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3. And so he covers all of these sorts of things in the first three chapters of Colossians to say this is like huge, important information, huge, important news would be a huge, important understatement. Okay. This is, this is, this is the gospel message. This is big news for every single person who would hear and also understand. And here's the thing about big news. When we hear big news, we respond to it. You know, our, our lives are changed because of that. I remember this is my oldest daughter's 13 now, so more than 13 years ago, almost 14. When I first heard that I was going to be a dad, it's amazing how my life changed, you know? It's, and it's not like I had to sit down somewhere and go, okay, let's write down all the things you got to do. Like, it just, it just kind of naturally happens. The way I view and spend my money has changed. The, the, the priorities and responsibilities I have in my life have changed. My hopes and dreams have been changed. Um, the way I share and experience love. Being a dad for the first time and then again before my daughter Adele was born, I mean, that is life-changing stuff, and it just, it happens. When we hear big news, our lives are changing, and I think that goes for all of us, you know? If you hear good news about maybe getting married or a child of your own or a dream job or dream vacation or last week Kevin mentioned winning the lottery, every one of our lives change when we hear that news, and it's the same even with bad news. You know, if you if you hear today that, that either you or a loved one has a disease or cancer or you lose a loved one, your life's going to change, right? It's just, it's just what happens. We don't need to like, well, I got to do something different. It's just the result. And, and it's, it's no different for what the apostle Paul experienced in his life. And as we look at the, at the beginning of chapter four, Paul says this, he's writing to the Colossians, pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. Because that's why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. When Paul understood this Jesus thing, his life was radically transformed. You see, before Paul became a Christian, he was known as Saul, and he was, he was set out to stomp out Christianity. He, he grew up with good Jewish parents and was raised to kind of become a a Jewish elite in that community who become a Pharisee, a, a, you know, kind of teacher of the law sort of thing, raised under, you know, one of the best Pharisees of the time when he was in his kind of young adulthood. He was, he was climbing the Jewish ladder, you know. He was, he was achieving and becoming someone to be known in Judaism. And his Christianity was just kind of starting after Jesus had ascended back into heaven. And as you read, maybe if you read in the book of Acts, the beginning sections, we see that Saul was there present at Stephen's death, the very first martyr. He was giving his approval. Yeah, killing Christians is a good thing. And he was going around all over Jerusalem to arrest and kill Christians. He was asking his leaders, the people above him at the time, hey, can I go to other cities to arrest and kill Christians? 
He thought this new way was a cult. It was a threat to Judaism. He took it upon himself. You know what? I want to make sure this this Jesus movement doesn't survive and doesn't thrive. And one day as as he's on the road to go arrest and kill more Christians, he has this experience with Jesus, and it is amazing to read how his life changed. In an instant, the direction of his life changes. Everything that he was working towards before, climbing the ladder, being someone, you know, Pharisee, stopping out Christianity, all of that he left behind. And later on in one of his letters, says, all of that's now garbage or feces or just the, the most worthless thing possible. My life is now about Jesus and reaching people for Jesus. And even in the, you know, the couple days after he had that experience with Jesus himself, he began teaching and preaching and sharing the message. And the other Christians there who, you know, a couple months earlier heard about this dude killing Christians, they were like, this is a joke. Think he's just here to kill it. But he wasn't. You know, he was, he honestly was transformed on the inside. And he spent the rest of his life dedicated to sharing the gospel. Threats wouldn't stop him. Authorities couldn't stop him. Being stoned and left for dead didn't stop him. He even writes here, that's why I'm here in chains. He was imprisoned, couldn't stop him. Everything became like, listen, I am now connected to God through Jesus. This relationship with him is awesome. I want other people to experience that. I want everybody I know and come in contact to, and it didn't matter what the city was, what the situation was, what sort of persecution was coming. He, his, his life goal became about trying to reach as many people as possible. And he says, listen, Colossians, I want you to pray for me. What he asked for prayer for, I think, is incredible and shows his heart. He doesn't say pray that I'll be let out of jail sooner. That's what most of us would ask for, right? He doesn't say pray that the prison guards treat me better. He doesn't say pray that, you know, the, the judge gets, you know, gets a bad order, a Taco Bell, and can't be there at the, at the hearing. No, he says, listen, I want you to pray for me for one thing. Pray that I stay focused on Jesus. Pray that I stay strong and keep, keep sharing this message. Pray that I never shrink back. This is the most important thing ever. Please pray for me that I, and I'm going to continue to use these opportunities that God's given me. That's what Paul writes about himself and, and what God had done in his life. And so it should be no surprise that he gives the same instruction to the Colossians. The next two verses. Okay, this is what this is what I want you to pray for me for. Here's my instruction to you that you would live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Basically, I want you to do what I'm doing. I want you to join in this work that God has given us. Hey, guess what? I'm I'm here sharing the gospel. I'm here, I'm in chains, but still trying to reach people. I want you to be a part of that, Colossian believers. This, this gospel message is sharing Jesus is not just for me. And so he says, listen, when you run into people who aren't believers, be wise about those opportunities. When you meet and talk to people in the marketplace or in your home and they haven't put their trust in Jesus yet, I want you to make the most of those opportunities that God gives you. Be aware that eternity is long. Life is short. Heaven and hell are real. Okay, God has given us these. Let's engage in his work. Let's be a part of what he's doing. Here's here's what God has done for us. Now as a response, let's be a part of sharing that for others. 
And even in the rest of this chapter, we're not going to read it, but you can read it later on this week if you want. He just goes through to list some of his fellow workers and partners, you know, Epiphras that we talked about the first week and other people with weird first century names. And, you know, he just says, listen, this was, this was my partner here and this guy's praying for you and we're laboring together. Like, look, it's not just me. Here's all my friends in Colossians. Join the team. Okay, let's, let's be a part of what God is doing together. Here's everything, this amazing gift that God has done for us through Jesus. The response to that, let's use every opportunity we can to share that with other people. That's what he tells the Colossians. But here's, here's I think, the unfortunate reality for those of us who are Christians is we don't tend to live like this very often, do we? You don't have to answer out loud, but like, would you say that this instruction from God written by Paul, would, would you say this is descriptive of your life a majority of the time? Every single Monday here at church, we have a staff meeting. And this past Monday, we were just kind of talking as the meeting was getting started. And Kevin, our founding pastor, shared that he had just done a funeral, just officiated a funeral the previous Friday. Jody, our communications coordinator, uh, shared that she had just flown out to Michigan for a funeral on Saturday. When I was sitting there on Monday, I knew that in, in three days I was flying out to Tennessee to do a funeral for a family member myself. And, and all, you know, all these different funeral, 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 life is short sort of thing. And I tell you what, it just hit me like a ton of bricks, this, this thought of why don't we live like this? Why don't we live in light of the reality that we all know is true, that life is short? I think it's, I think it's one of the, the common denominators between all peoples, all social statuses, all races, in all of history. There's, there's one thing we all know about life, is that none of us make it out alive, you know? It's just the reality. But yet, as I thought about that, I, I just I had to ask myself the question, why doesn't my life match what I say I believe more often? You know, I, I, I think uh, most of us, we believe that there's more than this life, that there is an afterlife. I would assume most of us believe in heaven and hell. Those of us that are Christians, we know that the only way we get to heaven is by putting our trust in Jesus. I believe all of those things. And yet, if I'm honest with myself, when I look at my life, there's discrepancies. I believe that eternity is real, but the way I spend my money doesn't always line up with that. I believe that, that people, every human being, will spend an eternity even either in heaven or in hell, but the way I schedule my time doesn't always reflect that. I believe that God has tasked his people with sharing the gospel and sharing the message of Jesus with everybody that we possibly can, but let your conversations be gracious and attract. There's, there are times where my conversations don't reflect that at all. In fact, not this past weekend, but the one before, I just spent three or four days with a group of people, you know, 20 or 30 people that I don't normally get the chance to spend my time with, um, almost all of whom 
are not connected to a church anywhere, and by all outward appearances, if they were to die today, would spend an eternity in hell. And so spent three or four days talking, hanging out. And you know how many times I talked about Jesus or God or my faith or the church or anything related to Christianity at all over four days? Zero. Not a one. Not not because I'm embarrassed, not because I don't know how. I was just preoccupied with music and fun. And I I, I missed these opportunities and and like, so we're, we're sitting here and talking about this on, on Monday afternoon in our staff meeting and five of our six staff members are there and two of our three elders are there and we're all sharing. And it's just this, this godly gut punch on the inside. And so we just talk about it and I ask all of all the people around the table, ask this question, when was the last time your heart broke for people who are far from God? And nobody answered, but I could see as I looked around that I wasn't the only one feeling a little like, ugh. And if I were to ask that question here, for those of us that are Christians, those of us that have put our trust in Jesus, we understand Colossians chapter 1 and 2 and 3. When was the last time you wept for people who are far from God? For people who are disconnected? from him. See, I, I think God gives us opportunities every day to be a part of what he's doing. And I don't mean, you know, we have to like, when you're walking in the grocery store next to someone you've ever met, you don't need to share your two-hour testimony and force Jesus in somehow, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying that, but like, what about your family members the last three years, your co-workers the last six months, your neighbors the last two weeks. I mean, like, I I just believe with all my heart that God gives us opportunities to talk about his love and how he's changed our lives and our hope for the future and the peace that maybe we experienced. Now, all these different things, and yet so often we just mess up. It's what Paul wrote to the Colossians. I believe it's God's heart for us to leverage every opportunity we have to share Jesus and yet for many of us, we just miss it. And, and as I tried to think about why is this? Why is this the case in my life? Why is this the case when I look at, you know, kind of Christianity in, in our, our culture, even in our country? I don't think it's because, you know, we're, we're against it or something. I don't think it's because, you know, well, I just don't want to do that, Lord. I think what happens is we just get distracted. I think we've, we've just kind of as a whole, we've forgotten What's at stake in the busyness of life and kids and jobs and vacations and all the stuff we got to do, we just forget what's really at stake. That life is short. Eternity is long. Heaven and hell are real. And that every human being is going to spend their eternity in one of those two places. Paul wrote back in Colossians chapter 3 that judgment is coming one day. But Jesus talked about this, I think, the most. He, there was one time where he was talking and he often used parables, made up stories to kind of prove a point. And so he tells this parable about wheat and weeds. And, you know, you, you plant during the planting time and everything is just growing all at the same time. It all looks green. Nothing seems to be happening. 
But when it's time for the harvest, the wheat and the weeds are separated. And then he goes on from there. He tells another parable. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. Again, just another made up example. Here's, here's kind of what things are going to be like. But then he moves from parable to reality. And he says, this is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come. Judgment day is coming and will separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are only going to be two groups of people on judgment day. The righteous who have put their trust in Jesus to be righteous and everybody else. Regardless of how good they may seem, regardless of how generous they were, regardless of how kind someone might be on the outside, regardless of how much maybe someone went to church, regardless of whether someone had communion or was confirmed, regardless of whether we love them, regardless whether they had a Bible in their home or a picture of Jesus on the wall, people will be separated into one of two categories. Is your faith in Jesus to be welcomed into heaven for all eternity? Or is your faith not in Jesus and you will be cast away into the fiery furnace, into hell for all eternity? Jesus gets just gets straight to the point. This is how it's going to be. Make no mistake about it. It might not seem like it now. Life might be busy and things might be looking just fine. But this is exactly what's coming someday. And after telling this to his disciples, Jesus asks this just soul-searching, gut-wrenching question. And I thought about this question on Monday. Every time I read this question or think about it, I'm, I'm personally bothered on the inside because of the implications of this question that Jesus asked. He tells them about eternity, heaven and hell, separation. He says, do you understand what I'm talking about? Do you understand all these things? And I think if... If it were God here and not me speaking to every one of us, that we're Christians, we've put our trust in Jesus, we're going to heaven when we die, that's awesome. I think he'd ask each one of us this question too. Do you understand what's at stake? Do we get it? Do we understand that if our parents don't put their trust in Jesus to be right with God, they will spend an eternity in hell. Do we get it? Our kids, whether they're little or grown, we love them so much and they're awesome, but do you understand the, the reality of what's going to happen someday? If our kids do not put their trust in Jesus, they will be separated from God for all eternity because the punishment for their sin they still bore the weight of that. Do we understand? 
our extended family, our neighbors, our coworkers, that person we walk by in the grocery store, the bank teller we see, do we understand what's really at stake? I know for me, if I, if I answer honestly, the answer is no more than I want to admit. I forget, get distracted, I get caught up into other things. And I think that's probably true for all of us. No, God, I don't really understand. He wants us to be moving more and more in the direction of yes. He wants to be changing and transforming and drawing us more and more. Do you get it? Yes. Yes, I do. See, what Paul writes in the first three chapters of Colossians, all these incredible things that God has done for us, is amazing, but it's not meant to just stay with us. It's meant to start here, but then go out to others, to as many other people as we can, that we engage, that we respond to what God has done for us and leverage every opportunity and live wisely and make the most of every situation we find ourselves in to be a part of reaching others, of sharing the message of Jesus with others, of, of helping God to rescue people from an eternity separated from him. And there is I'm convinced more and more all the time there's only one way for us to get there. And it's the same way that we address every problem we ever talk about. It's to spend more time with God. Because here's, here's what happens. Here's how amazing God is. We can hear a message like this and you go, yeah, okay, I should do part of that. And, and maybe today we're good. And maybe tomorrow, maybe the next week. But we'll all kind of peter off, you know. The only way for us to be more focused on this is to have God transform us on the inside. Information is awesome. We need it. But it's transformation that counts the most. And I've seen it in my life, and and I could share plenty of stories of people I've seen it as well. But here's, here's what I know happens. As we get to know God better, his heart begins to become our heart. Maybe not all at once, okay, but, but slowly over time, what's most important to him becomes most important to us. As we get to know God and talk to him and be in his presence, it's, amaz- it's almost like osmosis that his perspective starts to become our perspective, that we are almost lifted up out of this short 80 years here on earth and we see things more and more from an eternal perspective. As we get to know God and build a relationship with him, the thing that matters most to God starts to become the thing that matters most to us. And I'm not trying to say like we'll ever be perfect, you know, and like, oh, good, we'll research someday. Don't get the wrong ideas. Not like, uh, you know, silver bullet sort of thing. But it is the solution that works time and time again. The more we spend time with God, the more he starts to transform us from the inside out. I think what Paul wrote back in Colossians chapter 2 is really could be said the key to the Christian life. Okay, once you've put your trust in Jesus, what's this Christian life all about? Well, to let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. And so today, as we 
as we wrap up. We still got quite a bit of time here. I just want us to practice that together. And uh, I'm going to invite the band on stage. We're going to sing together at the end. But before we get to that point, I, uh, I just want us to practice sitting with God. And for some of us, maybe this is a very familiar thing. For others of us, this might be the most uncomfortable you're going to be all week. That's okay. It's okay. We, we can work through this together. There is nothing more important that we will do in our lives. Nothing more important that we will do today than for us to spend time with God. For any issue, for any problem, for any trouble, even for being a part of what he's doing and, and, and trying to ask him to give us his heart. And so I, I just want to invite you, I'm just going to lean back and kind of get comfortable. You get comfortable wherever you're seated. I think this whole Praying with your eyes closed is just so we don't get distracted. Maybe you want to do that. Um, if you want to keep your eyes open, that's fine too. But for the next three or four minutes, not long, just want us to sit with God. And I'll, I'll kind of give us some prompts to talk about, but then leave some space for you to talk to God from your own heart. You don't say anything out loud. But I also want to encourage us to leave some space for God to talk to us. Probably not audibly, maybe to impress something on our heart or our minds or to help us to experience his presence. And so that's, uh, that's just what we're going to do. Okay. So Father, thank you again. Thank you so much for Jesus. Father, we could never say thank you enough. Again, I apologize for the times when, when like, I forget that. I just want to tell you again, God, thank you for sending a Savior. Thank you for giving us access to you. Father, I just want to ask that you would share with us your presence. Through the Holy Spirit, may we sense your love and your peace and your joy. May we experience hope. Not just a word, not just a cliche, but Father, as we experience you, may you fill us with hope. God, we want, we want to ask you to give us a bigger perspective on life. Help us to see more and more things from your vantage point. You say this life is a mist. 
It's a vapor. God, help us, help us see that from your perspective. You say that people will spend an eternity somewhere. Father, help us see the reality of that. Share your perspective with me, God, with us. Father, I just want to apologize for the the opportunities that you've given us that we've missed. Father, may you open our eyes to see to see the the situations more clearly, to see to maybe hear when when there's an opening to be able to share what you've done for us through Jesus. And Father, I just want to ask that you would continue to draw us close to you. Supernaturally transform and change and mold us more and more into your likeness. We'll probably we'll never be perfect, but God, I want you to have permission in my life, in our life, to keep pulling me, to keep drawing me back to you over and over again. Give us strength and courage to be bold for you and to leverage opportunities for your glory. Thank you, Father, for the freedom to come to you anytime, anywhere. And God, uh, we want to more and more plant our roots and build our lives on you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.